from coast to coast to coast. You're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Terra Informa. Do you ever sit down to watch a movie in the hopes of letting your mind wander away from the stresses and troubles of the everyday, to escape to different planets or future worlds, and then find yourself catching glimpses of our world today between the frames? Today, we're talking about one of those movies. My name is Hannah Cunningham, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news, storytelling, and ideas. Before we start our episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6 in Muskegon, or so-called Edmonton, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. In our episode today, we're talking about a fictional story and film, but it focuses on very real-world issues, including the unequal distribution of power caused by imperialism and the resulting disproportionate effects of environmental damage or change. Communities in the Global South and Far North disproportionately face the dangerous consequences of climate change, while predominantly white and rich countries continue to do the lion's share of the polluting. While you listen to this week's episode, we encourage you to reflect on these parallels, as well as the prevalence of environmental racism in the here and the now, and how it is perpetuated by our settler colonial institutions. In this week's episode, some of the Terror Informers got together virtually over cups of tea to discuss the 1984 Studio Ghibli animated movie Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. This film is directed by Hayao Miyazaki and is based on his 1982 manga of the same title. It takes place 1,000 years after an apocalyptic event known as the Seven Days of Fire that destroyed human civilization and created a toxic jungle known as the Sea of Decay. The Sea of Decay is spreading across the land, filled with giant insects and spore-spewing plants. The main character, a young princess named Nausicaa who lives in the Valley of the Wind, explores the toxic forest and communicates with its creatures, without the same fear as her fellow humans. While life in the Valley of the Wind is peaceful, the ocean winds blowing away the threat of toxic spores, the threat of conflict with powerful neighboring nations creeps ever closer. Now that I've set the scene, Let's get into the discussion. Introduce yourselves, names, pronouns. My name is Hannah Cunningham and I use she, her. My name is Elizabeth Dowdell and I use she, her. And I'm Charlotte Thomason and I use they, them, or she, her as my pronouns. Okay, cool. So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. This version of the movie came out in 1984. So is this anybody's first time seeing the movie? Yeah, I had never seen the film before. I've heard it mentioned and I'm like a Miyazaki fan. What were your initial impressions or thoughts? So for me, there's a lot of themes that are certainly echoed in other Miyazaki works, so like war and the impacts of war, the sort of human costs of it are a big one. 
like nature and nature spirit, the complexity of the natural world and the human nature relationship. Overall, I thought it was beautiful. Like it's a gorgeous animation. I think the storytelling in any Miyazaki film, but in this one as well, are like very compelling. They're not so tidy as maybe a lot of North American storytelling might be. And while they're animated films, and certainly you can show them for children, they're not really very juvenile in any way. Like there's a lot of very complicated adult, mature, real world themes in there. Charlotte, you've seen the movie before? Yeah, um, Nausicaa is like one of my favorite Miyazaki films as an environmentalist (laughs) and an anti-imperialist. I feel like the film really centers and touches on those two points. And like Liz said, there's honestly like so much depth to the movie and to the characters. And like Miyazaki often centers young people and children in stories, in ways in which those characters hold wisdom in a way that I just don't or haven't really seen in a lot of uh, like North American context movies. Yeah, I love the film. It is beautiful. I feel like it's beautifully written. And I feel like it really parallels like a lot of the things that are going on in our world. Um, Even though the movie is 30, over 30 years old, we have our own Sea of Decay right now and that like struggle for power that is so prevalent in the movie like really I think is reflective of our current world. Yeah that unfortunate I don't want to say timelessness because I don't want this to be a timeless story by any means but seeing that 1984 release date and how the story is still incredibly relevant and incredibly timely. I guess starting out with some of those environmental themes, something that I thought that kind of stood out to me was this very fractured nature of human society that the film cast on the humans in the movie. The Tolmekians were the one country, I'm pretty sure, or group of people representing this economic, political strength, and they're coming in and flexing to take over the Valley of the Wind, promising this refuge and using violence and really like this big show of power to say, this is what we want to do. You're going to help us block this toxic forest. We're going to give you refuge. You're going to be prosperous, but you have to follow us. And then there's another country, Jeet that, you know, is also sort of racing for this fix for the toxic forest. They're on one side, the Tolmekins on the other side. And then these people of the Valley of the Wind are kind of stuck in the middle, sort of cast as this idyllic group of people living in this valley. And then there's this wider environment that is sort of this force that's kind of working towards one goal which you find out later is sort of this re-cleansing of the planet. And I thought that was really interesting because there's kind of this, humans seem very separate from nature aside from the people of the valley. What did the two of you think about this way that humans and nature were shown kind of in different relations to each other? 
I think it was really interesting the way the story used aesthetic to tell those differences about humanity. So humanity is obviously fractured from itself, right? You have these different sort of human tribes and they're all coping with, you know, the post-apocalypse in different ways. You have the Tolmecians who are like imperialistic and they're assimilationists, right? You have the people of the Valley of the Wind who are like, like agriculturalist kind of, or like pastoralist. Like this is something I found really interesting. This kind of pro-technology society with their ships. They're like airships, right? That look almost exactly like the insects, but are just like metal and fire and heavy and dark. And the way they're drawn is very like bloated, I guess, when you look at those ships later on. And even the one leader, her armor, sort of comically over sized and then you have um the people of the valley of the wind and they're just like all their beautiful fields and their beautiful forest and their windmills gently turning in the gentle wind of their beautiful valley you know farmers essentially and then the people of pajit are like i don't know that much about them i think there was one line i think something about them being like artisans just using a really different aesthetic for each one of these these groups was interesting to like visually define them as separate and different but also yeah they all have different sort of relations to the sea of decay or like the forest of death yeah something i noticed as a common theme is although like each nation has a a different view of what to do about the problem um they all fear nature to an extent and they all like have a large fear of the sea of decay and being consumed by that. And it, I think it's a really big fixation in the film is they're afraid of the insects and they're like essentially afraid of being consumed. And I think that that is really heavily contrasted with Nausicaa because she is a steward to the land and to the insects and she's unafraid in a way that the rest of the humans that are kind of like left uh, don't seem to share that same attitude or those same feelings. I think, yeah, fear and rage were two big emotions in this movie and sort of this rushed feeling and all of these decisions kind of being made without much thought or with like fear or rage sort of as the undercurrent. Yeah, well, I think it's also this idea that like you can fight death with death mm -hmm. um, is something that I noticed. And it's just like, I see that paralleled in, you know, the quote unquote real world that we are living in is that there is this idea that like aggression and death are the solution to problems of like continuous death. And we see this in the environmental world a lot, thinking about environmental destruction um, and the idea that like we can somehow solve our problems by like destroying the earth more. Mm -hmm. um, and that urgency, that sense of urgency that we see time and time again, especially when we're talking about climate change and it's, there's definitely this idea of rushing and doing things before we're ready because you know there's this panic almost i got that too that sense of there's an urgency there's a panic 
you know, in real life, but as, as it is in the film, I think a part of that is scarcity. Like as you were describing that, I was thinking about like the the push right now for like, you know, like marine mining, like ocean floor mining. That's gonna really be bad for all of the planet when you start destroying your oceans and like killing the life there and literally like mining it right just as mining on land is but there's a huge push to claim like resources before some other nation does and i think that's you know sort of mirrored in the film to that push to not just fight back the sea of death or the sea of decay but you know like to get the the giant warrior and be the first nation to use it before someone else. So you see like the Valley of the Wind sort of idyllically situated in a sustainable lifestyle and area except for you know this disease that is sort of challenged for them caused by like the spores or whatever. So like they're not completely unimpacted but they're for the most part seeming pretty peaceful, pretty sustainable. But then you have these other two nations that are like, ah, oh, we got to do it first. Um, so really, yeah, this 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 scarcity of if we don't if we don't act, we'll lose out. So we have to act as opposed to stopping and being thoughtful and being like, wait, do, like what? Do any of us need this? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR eighty-eight point five FM. This week, we're discussing the 1984 animated film, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Let's get back into it. Another thing that I kind of noticed and that the people in the Valley of the Wind are getting sick from the Sea of Decay and they're slowly dying from this like path of environmental destruction and path of death when I think the movie clearly demonstrates that they have been stewards of the land and that they have lived in some reciprocity with nature and yet they're still feeling those effects and like they're still dying because of it. And you see these other two nations that are actively pushing and making, you know, the sea of decay larger and larger and dominating more cities and killing more people. And you're seeing those two nations the Tolmecian nation and the Pajit nation kind of battling it out. And then you just see the Valley of the Wind being caught in this crossfire. And I think that also really demonstrates our world. And when we're thinking about climate change in our world, you know, we know that these wealthy nations, these predominantly white nations, and these big corporations as well have caused majority of the damage and, you know, have created the most environmental destruction, put the most emissions out per year and those aren't necessarily the people that are feeling those detrimental effects and that's something that i also yeah i really noticed in the film is kind of drawing that parallel of like these people in the valley of the wind have like tried and essentially you know quote unquote done everything right and they're still dying i think it really spoke to the connectedness of everyone on this planet yeah, I think that's echoed very tellingly in sort of how, you know, as Canadians, we're total, we're not totally sheltered from the impacts of climate change, but we're not all experiencing them in the same way. And for many of us, there's no real disruption to our 
our known existence yet, right? And yet, you know, conflicts can so easily spill over and start to influence and impact and that we're not, you know, just because we might not be getting hit with the worst impacts or feeling them yet, they're definitely happening and there's no turning a blind eye or avoiding that, that it's inevitable if it's not mitigated that, you know, if we're not taking action to address and resolve this and doing it in a unified way that we're not all as countries and as nations being, you know, accountable to our shared survival, we're not surviving. I found that the film and like Miyazaki really preyed on well at least for me like the sense of like instability or uncertainty that I think a lot of us feel we really have these like situations of crisis which awaken yeah these feelings of uncertainty and instability and I found it like really powerful when Nausicaa is in the forest with Aspel and he's like as soon as we get to Pejit everything will be fine like we just have to get there and there's like a lot of uncertainty when they're in the forest and you know they're kind of like almost on the brink of death um, with all these things are trying to get them and then they finally make it to Pajit and the city is destroyed. And I think that that, for me, hit really hard because it was like, you really don't know when there's periods of crisis. Even things that you think will remain the same or remain stable or things that you know and love and are comfortable with, like they can shift so quickly. That kind of scene, I felt like really <laughs> pulled, <laughs> pulled at my heartstrings in thinking about just the the kind of uncertainty that like folks in the world are facing facing today in so many different contexts. The ending of the movie, it wraps up pretty quickly after the Ohm stampede is stopped. And, you know, they sort of, as the credits roll, as the Ohms leave, they show some images of the Tolmecians packing up, flying home and presuming life back at the village in the Valley of the Wind, sort of that rebuilding, replanting of the forest. But there's not really much said, kind of like we talked about, it's pretty vague and there's, you don't really know what humanity does from there. Was it hopeful for you or was it sort of, did it give that kind of uneasy feeling of, okay, here we go again? <laughs> you know, like I've seen the movie like many times, but it's always interesting for me that Miyazaki chose to use a messiah to solve the problem. Because <laughs> when I think about our world and the things that we need, uh, that's not on my list. Uh, not even close. And I think it was really interesting that like that those themes of like sacrifice, like essentially Nausicaa sacrificed her life to 
prevent this like catastrophic disaster. And then because she was uh, the Messiah of sorts, like she was saved by the Ohms. Yeah, I I have like really mixed <laughs> feelings about that. And like you said, in the credits, they show these pictures of like the community rebuilding in a way that feels like more collective. And I felt like the whole movie had a lot of themes of friendship and collective action as solutions. And then the end, it was just like, oh no, she's actually just the Messiah. And that's why she was like able to save everyone. If we're thinking about it, the great monster, the ancient monster was kind of this single entity that was going to save the world. And then the monster, you know, disintegrates and falls. And to me, that was like, okay, this is a symbol of this like individualist one solution thing is obviously not going to work. But then at the end, (laughs) it is still kind of one one person or one solution. So I found that really interesting. Nausicaa, she is a child or, you know, a young teen. And it's her that saves everyone and none of the adults in the film were able to, you know, realize or use the power that they have for for good to save the world. And I think that that is also a narrative that's kind of being pushed on us in the quote unquote real world (laughs) Um, is that like, okay, young people, it's you that's actually gonna solve all these problems. I know that we made them, but it's on you to solve them because we made mistakes and it's too late for us. But for you, you can change things and you can fix things. And I think when we're reflecting on that in the real world, it's like, and reflecting on it, you know, how much time, realistically, how much time we have to deal with climate change, we don't have that kind of time. Yeah, in the film, I guess if it was more accurate (laughs) to real life um, and not a children's animated movie, the solution would not have been been one young person, but rather like everyone, everyone rising up and like showing love and compassion and and like pushing for change because like that is what's needed. I thought it was really interesting their like contrast of who would be maybe their antagonist and their protagonist in the storytelling contrasting leadership styles this like faith and love for one leader who uses you know faith and love and kindness and nurturing and understanding to lead versus another one who uses sort of fear and intimidation um, and violence to create submission like they're so contrasted and I actually really love that they were both women because it's rare to see women portrayed that way and I think that like kind of speaks to this whole like screw the gender binary, but our leaders can be anything and do anything. Like you shouldn't expect good or bad from like a certain gender that like leadership can be, you can see different kind of leadership in different places. Yeah, that's I think what I mostly like that it's like, while the princess will understand the nurturing spirit of earth and save humanity was kind of a 
a theme there. It was also a princess or a military commander who is presented as female can also, you know, release the giant warrior who will destroy the planet. You know, I think we get caught up sometimes in, in some assumptions about how different genders can lead, but it's also interesting to contrast that with some, like, of the research around, like, matriarchal societies and as, like, societies of peace and how there's such a, a record of evidence of when you have more women or maybe just more diversity of voices and more collaboration communication in your leadership that it is better, right? I mean, not to be like hashtag girl boss or anything, but <laughs> uh, it's kind of neat to see, like you were saying, Liz, to just see femmes being portrayed in like all these different kind of lenses and showing the kind of like complexity and like dualities that exist. I do want to say how much I loved Nausicaa's journey through the Sea of Decay or the Forest of Death and just how it's like an ode to the beauty of detritivores. All these gorgeous vegetations <laughs> and like beetles and like different insects and fungi and I was just like this is an aesthetic that I am so into um, and so here for and it was like this forest of death that was the first thing is that this forest of death the sea of decay was so full of life and I thought that was one of like just a gorgeous sequence about the beauty of nature and having love and appreciation for our full ecological system from you know charismatic megafauna like pandas and polar bears which WWF the World Wildlife Fund or whatever was kind of like recommended the film I guess mm -hmm. um, in the intro I noticed but um but like fungi are super cool too and like the ohms are just like really cool like I don't know trilobites essentially that yeah there's so much beauty and so much diversity and that is really the foundation of like our existence in the planet right of like life on this earth um so I thought that was a really beautiful bit of ecology woven into this story that they are what purifies our world that they are what you know that it's those kind of to try to for that level of um life and like fungi that really are what keep this planet alive yeah um, so I thought that was really beautiful like some of the ecology was like really gorgeous um in its sort of representation yeah and that life goes on without mm -hmm. us uh, it's a big thing too, is the forest of death because of its impact on humans, but the space itself is not like a space of death. It's a space of growth. It's a space of life um, and a space of like purification. Yeah. And that all the insects have so much solidarity. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. That's wild to me too. It's just like, it's not even just the ohms. It's like, yeah, they have like a unified purpose which is to protect the forest. Power of a unified purpose. Hmm. Maybe we should be get it. We should be more like the insects. Mm -hmm. That's the theme. The theme is actually not to be like the people at all. Try to for not zero waste, just break down waste. 
I love it. <laughs> I'll start my transformation. Build my cocoon. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. Big shout out this week to Elizabeth Dowdell and Charlotte Thomason for joining me in this film discussion. You can reach us for comments or questions by sending an email to terra at cjsr.com or by messaging us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa.